You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Well, hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole coming at you from, I don't know where this is, I just entered some sort of pipe and I found myself here and everything is very colorful and there are uh, talking mushrooms, which is very strange. Uh, But uh, I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me as she is, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, Princess Christy Morris. That's peaches to you. (laughs) (laughs) well that's very informal uh but uh thank you your highness um well we are excited here we are going to be talking about another brand new film that has just come out in fact it has become the largest opening animated feature of all time uh this movie has made over 300 million dollars in one weekend uh it is the super mario brothers movie and uh we're going to be diving into it we're going to be you know hitting every warp pipe we possibly can uh but before we get there just want to remind you uh before you uh jump on that turtle and send it flying uh please subscribe wherever you're listening and uh that way you'll get our shows as soon as they drop and of course uh you can give us a star rating review over there on itunes and in fact christy uh we have a brand new review over there and i'm going to read it right now because uh, as we always mention if you write us a review on Apple Podcasts uh, in the U.S. store. We are going to read that out to you. So uh, this is a fresh look at old favorites. Five stars. This is from Brain the Size of a Planet. So, I mean, we're being recommended to you by a brain at least the size of Pluto, which is fantastic, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I'm not sure if they've really considered that a planet again or if it's back or not. Anyway, uh, they said, I found this podcast after searching for some discussion and following yet another Star Wars film rewatch. And I must say, the episodes I've heard so far gave me a new appreciation for some old favorites, including including helping me see some deeper meanings in them. The hosts are knowledgeable and thoughtful, so their discussions are always captivating. Well, thank you so much, Brain. We really appreciate that review. It it definitely made my day to get that. That's awesome. And, I mean, what a glowing recommendation. Thank you so much. Well, and, you know, the fun thing about it, Christy, was that that's exactly what we try to do here. Um, You know, not just talk through films, but we do try to look for deeper meanings. Yeah. uh, Because, you know, every single film is saying something and uh, we want to talk about what the film is saying. Uh, And so uh, whether... Not just whether or not, you know, the film is good, uh, because sometimes... A film might be saying something really interesting, and that can make it actually better uh, than it would have been if it hadn't been trying to say that at all. So, And if we're just saying whether it's good or not, that might just be each of us saying one word. Yes, no. Yeah, it's a, it's a yes. short podcast. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we really do appreciate that. Thank you so much. Of course, you can also follow us and interact with Christy and I over on Twitter at The 602 Club, also on Instagram at The 602 Club TFM. You can find us online, trek.fm. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And there is a listeners link discussion group that's housed on Facebook that you can find called the Babel Conference. And you can join listeners from all over the world talking about our shows, even The 602 Club. So we hope you'll check that out. Uh, and last but not least, we really appreciate people going over to Patreon at patreon.com slash trek.fm and becoming part of our team and making sure that all of these shows keep coming to you. It's a, a hard thing to do for us to, to keep up with uh, the cost. And so we ask you to go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and help us out. Um, and uh, Christy and I uh, have been enjoying, uh, we're, we're giving back to you, we're doing some VIP room episodes that you can only get over there, and I actually have an idea for one coming up, and so uh, I'm excited to to be able to dive into that. But you can only find them and listen to them by sponsoring us over at patreon.com slash trekfm. So, Christy, 
Uh, this is another movie where, of course, we had the, I would say, very much failed attempt at doing the live action version of Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. Did not go well, was not well received. Uh, and so this movie was in quite a long development as well as happens with many of our movies. And I thought it was interesting because um, this is a film that almost got picked up by Sony Animation. Um, and they're known for their films like Hotel Transylvania, um, but ended up going to Universal because they have a relationship with Nintendo and they had created the Super Nintendo World at the parks at the Universal. And so I just wanted to ask you whether or not, you know, real knowing that it could have been at a different animation studio, uh, you know, to Universal, where it's known for films like Despicable Me, very popular. So would you have felt any different if this movie was coming from the makers of Hotel Transylvania uh, than the one that we got coming from, you know, the same studio that gave us films like Despicable Me? I think it's kind of a toss up because to me, Hotel Transylvania and Despicable Me are equals as far as being a good film, at least the first ones for both. Um, So I think that it could have ended up doing well at either one. Um, But I think it makes sense with Universal because, like you said, doing the park with them as well. And then um, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, another arm of Sony is one of Nintendo's competitors. (laughs) Mm. Okay. Yep. So, you know, I think that it, it was probably just best in the long run putting everything over at Universal instead of going with Sony for that reason as well. But I don't know. I mean, how did you feel about it ending up that way? You know, I I think that for me, I I was more inclined to be excited or at least less trepidatious about this coming from Universal Mm -hmm. uh, than I would have been if, you know, we were coming from... um, Sony, uh, you know, the to- Hotel Transylvania movies have held no appeal for me, and oh, okay. I've not even seen any of them, So, because it, there was nothing about them that just really looked good. But, you know, I've enjoyed the Despicable Me movies and other movies that uh, Universal has, has put out, um, and so this, uh, you know, I, it, it it felt like the right fit, I felt like. Um, and you know, I, I guess too, after the failed experiment with doing live action, do you think that just going animated was the right choice? Yeah, I do actually. Um, because I mean, the thing is, if you're considering the source material, it seems like that would have been the natural first course, right? <laughs> if it's coming yeah, from I a agree. video game, it is animation. So why not do the film in animation, especially with the quality you can do now with 3D animation in a movie? Mm-hmm. I think it was the right choice all along. I do too. I mean, I think that, you know, look, and I, I think one of the things is that it's almost like we feel like animation itself is a lesser art form. Right. And I don't get that, right? I mean, like, um, you know, even uh, next week we're going to be talking about the Bad Batch and, you know, the Clone Wars has, has been a, such a huge part of Star Wars, right? And Rebels and these things have, like, revolutionized Star Wars storytelling and they're in animation, um, I think of, you know, the classic animated features from Disney, um, you know, I mean, everybody loves Sleeping Beauty or Snow White or, you know, uh, Cinderella, The Lion King, The mm-hmm. Little Mermaid, you know, all of these films um, are done in a, in, a, in a form which I think fits the story that they're telling. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's a real detriment and, and I'm going to go on a slight diatribe here, but like... I hate that Disney keeps remaking perfect films in live action as if we we need them to be remade when they were already in the perfect format and they were already perfect films as they were. Mm-hmm. Live action doesn't make things better. Live action is just one of the formats that is, I think, applicable for telling a story. Mm-hmm. 
Well, there's nothing wrong with telling a story in animation. And sometimes animation is preferable and better for the type of story you're trying to tell anyway. Yeah. And so I think you're 100% right that this was the absolute right choice for them to do this movie in animation. And I think, too... The animation here itself, I thought, was great. It's really good looking. Um, I think it it does an excellent job of bringing the game itself to life from the different iterations of the game, you know, all the way back. Look, I'm old enough to remember when the original Nintendo came out, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, but I've seen pretty much every single iteration of Super Mario that, has existed. And I mean, I have seen every iteration, you know, and so I think the way in which this is able to captivate uh, all of those different aspects of his history and what he's looked like from 8-bit all the way to now, I think, again, it just seems like a no-brainer that this would be how we're making uh, this move, these movies. The second part I'll say to that, Christy, and and this is something that I was really struck by, and I think it's one of the reasons that, you know, this movie was huge. Family movies still are important, you know, and Mm -hmm. this is a movie aimed at at families, right? It's aimed at kids, you know, and it's aimed for the kid and all of us that grew up with Mario. And so I think, again animation is perfect for that as well Mm -hmm. well and i mean i'm going to state something that you feel like would be obvious but not everybody picks up on sometimes when you're arguing between live action and and animation but you can do more with animation and stay within a smaller budget than you could with a live action movie and especially with something this fantastical like having a mushroom kingdom Or floating islands, you know, I mean, and then thinking of, you know, like all of the the other Easter egg references to the different games. um, I think that you tell a better story for this using animation than you ever could in live action. Like, I think it would just be hard to do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, no, I think you're 100% right. I mean, and, and two, animation itself allows people to have a um, suspension of disbelief that goes way beyond live action. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing about that is, is that you're never worried about whether or not things feel organic um, in the sense of effects and action, because you're never going to be pulled out of an animated feature because, oh, that effect just doesn't look right. Because it's all consistent. It's all done mm-hmm. within the same system, right? And so, no, I I mean, all of the things that you can get frustrated with at a live action adaptation, and I have gotten specifically uh, frustrated at with live act- action adaptations of, say, Disney movies. It's just your... I just don't understand why we don't respect what animation is and what it does for storytelling mm-hmm. um, and that it is a completely legitimate way to tell stories. Um, and sometimes it's the best way. And I think this was 100% the best way. And not only that, but the film looks great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it pops off the screen in the in the way that you would want it to. Well, and if we could talk real quick about the adaptation of the source material to the film i think that you're exactly right saying how it pops and how it looks compared to the original games you know you can tell that all of that was intentional and that they're taking you on the journey of referencing at the beginning of the movie the very first iterations of the super mario games Mm -hmm. and then taking you through along the way in chronological order of the way that the game adapted as time went on. You know, so you start mm-hmm. out with yeah. references to Super Mario Brothers from uh, Super Nintendo, and then you get into things like the N64 games with um, Donkey Kong, uh, Mario Kart. Um, it, right. Specifically for me, you know, I was born right around the time that they were coming out. So I got into it a couple years later than when they initially came out. But 
this was my bread and butter of games. And I'm not a big gamer, but I mean, I played most of the Mario games out there. So it's like pairing the animation style with what was happening in the game made the nostalgia and the joy for me so much better. Like they actually have them in the city going through a platform game. Yeah, absolutely. In Brooklyn. No, I I could not agree with you more. I, I think uh, you're you're 100% right in the way in which they they really I think they kind of build towards that. And and as you're mentioning, I was just thinking about the there is an interesting setup to the film and the way that it's structured in 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 another sense, which is that we actually start in quote unquote the real world in this film, like that Mario and Luigi are real people living in a world that's just like ours, you mm-hmm. know, except for the fact that they're animated characters. I mean, like everything about it is is similar to our world. And they are just two brothers who have struck out on their own business idea. They, they've created their own plumbing business. And they're, you know, they want to make their mark on the city. So people want to use uh, their services other than rather than other people. And um, when this water main in town bursts, um, they go to fix it and they inadvertently get sent through a warp pipe that they discover. Uh, and they land in these different worlds of Nintendo, which is, you know, Luigi lands in the Dark Lands and Mario lands in the Mushroom Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so on on that front, how did you feel? And, and, and did you, th- I mean, were you even expecting the fact that this was going to be the case? Like, uh, did you feel like this worked um, to have this colliding of worlds? I certainly didn't expect that they were going to start it in the quote unquote real world. Um, I thought that they would just set the entire thing in Mario's world. Um, so it was cool having the two of those juxtaposed and then having the way that they ended up getting transported to that world um, was really cool and makes sense along with the games. Again, you know, everyone knows that when you start off the game, you enter a green pipe. So (laughs) um, it fits so well. And I love that it's like they happen to discover it when they're fixing, you know, the water main. Um, I am not as familiar with the Darklands piece of the games, but I thought that it was a cool vibe that they had going on. Um, I love the introduction of the Koopas um, and everything with Bowser. And I think that they really did make it shine as far as how each land was vastly different from each other. And even down to what you said with like the lighting, the brightness of the colors um, and uh, and then really showing off the animation with like Princess Peach and making it look more like the N64 games in the way that she was designed. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess for me, it keeps going back to also the, the Easter eggs of like the involvement of game pieces into the movie. Yeah, I think that it was unexpected for me as well uh the idea that you know these are two quote-unquote real brothers who land in uh, a world that is very video game like you know it's even funny that um there's a scene where mario is playing a video game on a system that looks like the original nintendo oh yeah before they leave brooklyn yeah and so um i i liked I liked that, and yeah, this you know, uh, this colliding of worlds was was fun, and I thought that um, w- what it also did, I felt like w- with the setup, is that it created an emotional resonance with the characters, especially Mario and and his character. Like we we gave him a character arc, you know, this idea mm-hmm. that he's He's got deep feelings about what he and his brother are trying to do, about how nobody believes in him or his brother, and always feeling, you know, 
put down and all of those type of things. And I, and I thought that, you know, that was really nice that they, they did that. Um, so that it allowed us, I think, to be able to connect with these two characters, especially Mario, before we go into the, you know, hyper real world of Nintendo. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, I was also, uh, you know, I, I kind of love the idea that, you know, they like us, you know, any superhero movie, um, this is an origin story for these two characters and how they become the Super Mario Brothers. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, how, how those, those two characters become that and and to me that created a really fun story and and it was a is a great place you know it's it said uh the beginning is the best place to start and so starting at this place with these two characters i thought was uh a really good move and making them more well-rounded you know i mean if you think about initially when we learned about the games there's never been like a backstory, really. You know, you're just presented with this basic character and you're going along for the ride and you get right. to choose which one you want to play as. But they never had this story about what made them a family, what their goals are, um, having motivations um, and parents and, you know, all these other people in their lives. So now we're actually getting a whole background story to the two of them which I liked having, you know, for the first time. Mm -hmm. Well, and I feel like you have to do that too. I mean, you, you can't just, I feel like it would be a huge mistake just to dump these, you know, characters into a film and have them have nowhere to go. You know, I, I think yeah. it's really important to, to want to, to see these characters grow and have an arc to go through. And, and they absolutely do in this film. And I think that's what makes it exciting. Um, and I, you know, on that, I think there's something really great about this movie because I think there's a meta textual sense to how, um, the themes of this movie, um, about it taking work, and, you know, never giving up. And I mean, those are the very things to which gamers themselves have to have, right? If you're going mm -hmm. through levels, um, you're going to reach places that are difficult. And well, what do you do as a, as a gamer? Well, you don't give up, right? You, you, you find a way to make it through. And so... I loved the idea of, you know, Mario, you know, training all night and still not quite getting it. But, you know, Peach telling him, you know, you, you, you're getting better. You're, you know, you're, and this idea that, you know, she's, she was raised there. So this is second nature to her. Um, and so, yeah, you can have natural abilities for things, um, but you still have to continue to hone those skills. Um, but yeah, learning new things is hard. It's never going to be easy really to learn new things most of the times. And the things that are worth, uh, doing are usually the hardest. And mm -hmm. so I, I thought the way in which this movie kind of connected with anybody who's played a video game in that way was really cool. Um, but I also just felt like you know, this is a message that everybody needs to be reminded of from young to old, which is, yeah, things get hard. And when they get hard, what do we do? We we don't give up because um, it's it's only by not giving up that we can we can actually really uh, learn something that we can actually grow, that we can actually become better people. Mm hmm. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it. It was such a great moment on all of those levels, showing that, it, like you said, that it, it's about not giving up, that it also applies to being a gamer, that it's like he had to continue to try different methods to try and figure it out. Yeah. So it's also teaching you to problem solve um, and that you're learning along the way. You have to change your approach every time. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, just because you beat level three doesn't mean that level four is going to be done the same way. So now you've got a new problem to solve. So, yeah, I think that it continues to help you grow along the way because you're learning yeah. that basic skill of like every problem takes a different approach and never give up. And then they added in again those those game references of eating the mushroom and I love the joke about Mario yeah. hates mushrooms and now he's got to constantly <laughs> yeah. eat mushrooms. Um and uh and showing you know you know how he could use like the power-ups and um and learn something from the other characters. Yeah, and I think you know you had mentioned this earlier, but it it's really great too. You know the the movie at the beginning, um, as as we do start in the real world, you know we we do see that Mario actually does have what it takes to be able to make it in the game world. Um, you know it's but uh, it's a new context, right? And there are less guardrails in the in the game world, and so mm-hmm. therefore. Um, it takes a lot more practice for him to be able to become who he's meant to be as Super Mario. And, you know, I also think that there's something really great about the whole theme for him as well is that, you know, he he hates being small. He hates his size. It bothers him that um, that people keep mentioning it, you know, and that he just feels so small. Right, because nobody takes him seriously, mm-hmm. and I, I love that. You know, like Yoda says, size matters not, and it it's not about his size. Um, it's about how hard he's willing to work because he's able to make it when other people have given up, mm-hmm. and um, and so therefore, it's about the size of his heart and the size of his determination. And again, I think. You know, when we're talking about a fa- the fact that this movie is a great movie for families and kids, you know, that's a wonderful reminder for everybody watching this film that those are the things that we have to remember every single day in life because there are plenty of days in life that are just difficult and hard or things that we're going through that are hard or frustrating. And to be reminded of that type of theme is, I think... um great Mm -hmm. yeah i i think that there's so much that kids can learn from this too because it's it's going back to that theme of even if you feel small like people don't believe in you that there's a way to rise above that and that you know kids being actually small (laughs) can overcome that (laughs) yeah no i think that's that's a, a really good pull. Um, and, uh, you know, it, I think it speaks to the fact that it's one of the reasons that this movie, I think, did so well this last weekend and that the audience score was so high for it um, is that, you know, people just respond to good movies that have great messages that, um, you know, don't treat people like they're dumb mm-hmm. for watching them. And and remind them of the most important things in life, like like this. And so I I really um, I love that. The one other thing that I almost forgot to mention was, although it was a brief here and there that they remind you of it, I loved the flashback that Luigi has of Mario helping him out when they were little, when mm-hmm. another kid yeah. was bullying him. And you see Mario come along and show that kid who's boss and protect his brother. And then that's kind of the overarching theme you get of why Mario says we can get through anything as long as we're together. Mm-hmm. So I like Great. that message, too. And it was cute the way that yeah. they showed it. Yeah. And I think that's a I love that you pulled that as well, because I think that's another great theme of the film. And it, it is a good juxtaposition between um, Mario and, you know, Bowser, Bowser, who just wants to control things and to have things his way and to rule everything with his power um, and, and make people do what he wants. Right. And Mario wants to use his power to protect people, 
to help people and um, to to make sure that um, people are free, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to make their own choices. And so, and and he's he's not one who's pushing what he wants on on anyone. Um, and so, I, I love there's that nice juxtaposition between you know those two characters and and what they want to do uh, with the power that they are given. And you know, we find out that um, through the the power ups and some time and practice that, you know, Mario has quite a bit of power, actually. Um, and what's interesting, again, is that it's the power that actually comes from his determination within. It, mm-hmm. It's not, it's, it, and and that's what sets him apart. I think that's, yeah, it's so great. So, we have a, a massive voice cast in the, in the movie, of course, and, you know, we all knew coming in that Chris, Chris Pratt was going to be Mario and a lot was made of this beforehand and, and whether or not, I don't know, I just, people like to complain about anything uh, and everything. Um, but how did you feel about Chris Pratt pulling this off? Uh, and, and did you feel like he was the right choice to bring Mario to life? I do. And actually, the best explanation I found about that was from the writers who said that He was chosen because he does such a great job in other roles playing a blue collar guy that has a lot of heart. And that's exactly what they wanted to pull out of Mario as a character in this retelling. And Mm -hmm. that it was no disrespect at all to him being an Italian American character and previously being played by an Italian actor. Um, It was just the, the type of character that they wanted to go for this time and that the accent didn't matter as much. And they actually found a way to overcome that and, um, you know, end up making it more about the, the character as a person rather than mm-hmm. their right. ethnic background, which I think is the way yeah. that you want the story to be that that's not why you do everything you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, half Italian I have no problem with (laughs) Chris Pratt playing this role I don't really care Mm -hmm. um I I think that he did a a great job and for the exact reason that the writer said you know he is a person who completely understands how to play this type of character and I felt like the, the thing that was so wonderful is that he he does bring a lot of depth to Mario which is exactly what you want you don't want him to be a cartoon character, right? You right. want him to feel like a fully fledged person um, with real emotions and real struggles. And I think he really brings that out. Like we talked about the idea of his, his being frustrated that nobody believes in him and that everybody just thinks of him as this small person who can't really do anything. And he, he wants to be able to prove people wrong. And I think that's really well done by Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt is very good at doing that kind of role. Um and I also think that he made the most of and like you said they they made the most of the fact of you know him playing with the idea of having a thicker kind of Italian American New York accent, right? Um and then uh you know them playing that up for their commercial and all but that's not really how he sounds in real life you know mm-hmm. he has a slight italian american accent which was great i think he did a fantastic job of pulling all of that off and so i loved it i i thought he did a great job and you know i'm a huge fan of him anyway and i have been since parks and rec and so i'm glad that um they they chose him to play this type of role and and specifically too i think one of the things that he was able to pull in was just that this is the origin story for this character of somebody who goes from having very little self-confidence to being somebody who is able to find self-confidence throughout the film and you know you you kind of hear that in the vocal performance and you know i think because Pratt has a lot of experience playing that type of character. He was able to to tap into that really easily. So I, I think it was a great choice. The other the other one that I, I didn't realize because 
a lot of times, uh, Charlie, so with Charlie Day, a lot of times he sounded a lot like uh, Edward Burns, um, who has been in quite a few things, you know, uh, the Brothers McMullen, Saving Private Ryan, I mean, just all sorts of stuff. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, I think I Charlie Day was great as, as Luigi. I think he pulled off the role perfectly. He gave you exactly what you needed with the character, um, which is somebody who has quite i mean if if you think mario has bad self-esteem and um is is kind of scared of things sometimes you know luigi is is full-fledged that um Mm -hmm. and i i found him to be very funny and i loved too that you know through his experience as well by the end when he comes in to save his his brother um like his brother has done many a times for him, it felt earned. It felt right. And and it was a really, I think, great moment. And so, yeah, Charlie Day, great choice. And I think he pulled off the role really well. And he's the kind of actor that has that very distinctive voice that I think just naturally works for an animated movie or or an animated kids movie sort of like I'm thinking of Gilbert Gottfried you know as Iago in Aladdin (laughs) it's something you can easily pick out oh yeah that's Charlie Day but it works for this kind of character and I think exactly what you said Matt with the kind of things that they wanted to show in Luigi as a character Um, it's so great that they actually give him some agency you know, I mean, if you think about playing the game, mm-hmm. Luigi was always secondary and didn't really have much going for him. I right. felt like exactly, you know, like there, there's always the people out there that are like, I always picked Luigi because he never gets, you know, any <laughs> any game time. Um, and so here he actually gets some things to do and gets to overcome those fears on his own and right. then meets back up with Mario and then has the ability to have that earned moment and save Mario for once. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was really good the way that he was written and then also picking someone like Charlie Day for the voice. Um, There was some vulnerability in the way that he sounded at times, as well as, you know, the ability to be silly when needed. Yep, I agree. Um, And on top of that, you had Anna Taylor Joy playing Princess Peach, which, you know, she's been, I feel like, in just about everything these days. Mm -hmm. And. But I, I liked the way that she, in many instances, was playing confident. But you got the feeling like, yes, she's being confident, but she's not quite confident in her own confidence. Like, yes, I'm going to go do this, but like, I don't really know that's going to actually happen. Um, and like just the interactions that she ends up having with with Mario especially as she's trying to encourage him and just the way in which you know she kind of gives us an insight into that this is a character who is human like she doesn't realize that until now you know um in the in, in the full sense like she Meeting Mario is the first other human she's met. And she's like, you're just like me. And that she's been here for basically her whole life and being, you know, raised by the toads and everything. And I just, I thought it, she does a very good job. Um, I also felt like the way in which they play uh, the love interest between her and Mario was really well done. Because it's because it's there, but it's understated, mm-hmm. and you know, it's just I I I liked her performance. I thought that she was a, a good choice and that she did a good job with this. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that you have someone here who gets across a softness in the character, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but then also can be very confident um, when needed, and she really kind of plays that line very well of exactly what you said where she's not quite sure that she's confident but she's going for it anyway (laughs) um and you know that she's realizing she still needs to be a good leader and that hopefully the confidence will come along the way kind of thing yep um yeah 
I also had to mention um, one of the funniest standout moments in the dialogue for me that uh, was in perfect alignment with the games was when Mario gets to her castle and the guards say that she's in another castle. (laughs) That's exactly the message that you saw when uh, you finished a world in the first Super Mario Brothers. (laughs) Yeah. Like there's actually a band called Kirby Crackle that my husband and I love that did another song called You're in Another Castle, it seems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. So yeah, um, that made me happy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um overall, you know, like everybody that they did choose voice cast wise was great. I think, you know, Keegan Michael Key as Toad was really fun and Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong was kind of perfect, especially to be like the dude bro. Mm-hmm. Uh Fred Armiston playing Cranky Kong. Uh like all of those choices were the right choices for the voices. And then the king of all the voices. Jack Black yes. is Bowser. Yes, you know, Bowser, uh, that's definitely something I wanted to talk to you about because I remember when the uh, the trailer first came out and I, I, could, I didn't realize that it was actually Jack Black at the time. I thought it was Josh Brolin hmm. uh, who, you know, plays Thanos and, you know, very good at that type of voice. Um, but Jack Black has such a great range uh, for the ability to kind of contort his voice in different ways. And so, you know, he can have the ultra menacing um, uh, moments like at the very beginning where he does kind of have that, I would say, more like Thanos, Josh Brolin sound. And then at the other times, he's just completely outlandish and crazy, you know, when he's singing Peaches and or, yes. you know, talking about how, you know, they're going to get married. And uh, he's he was definitely the right choice in every way, shape and form to be and to play Bowser in this film. Yeah, you needed somebody for this character that was going to come across like that larger than life sound because in the games and everything, you know, I mean, this is the villain for the longest time. So you needed somebody that would come out with a bang on screen as the voice. And I think that he does. And I did not pick up that it was Jack Black until the song Peaches, actually, because if you've ever listened to Tenacious D, then you know exactly what Jack Black's singing voice sounds like. (laughs) And when he's going, Peaches, 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 you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yes. It's classic him. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, has a lot of range to him still. Um, And cracked me up when they did do the comedic moments of showing that he's got this vulnerable side where he says, uh, well, you know, falling in love really makes a guy come out of his shell. (laughs) Yeah. No, that was good. Not good. Okay. (laughs) Well, and and I think, too, I I love the scene in, in, of course, it was part of the trailer of him um, going against the penguins and him yeah. being like do you yield <laughs> no i do not then and you then, will you feel know, just, our fury yeah it, i mean <laughs> that whole scene's fantastic and yeah. just him in general not that, that scene is great uh, but i think the one thing that i appreciated in some ways and 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 it does add quite a bit of humor of course but that you know bowser is a person who does just kind of want to be known and loved and he's trying to force everybody to do that and of course force Peach to marry him and that's not, you know, that's not going to do it. Nobody is going to be forced to love anybody, right? Um, and, and of course, he's never going to realize that that's the case. And so... I I I appreciated that they kind of gave a little bit more nuance to Bowser in that way. Um, yes, he's still the big bad, and he's definitely a bad dude, and 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 yet there's a little bit of understanding to as to why he is like this and what he wants, but he just doesn't have the ability to actually in any way uh, go about it and 
a healthy way. Mm-hmm. That it's definitely kind of, honestly, it's kind of showcasing a kid's response when they don't get what they want. They just burn everything to the ground. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> Throw that's a, a tantrum. Point. That's what you do. You make people do what you want or you take over. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or, or, you know, um, or you smash things, uh, yeah. you know, kind of like, uh, you know, when you uh, don't make it on the level of the video game and you kind of want to throw your controller across the room or into the TV kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that I've ever done that, but, you know, no. I mean, so, no, <laughs> a- absolutely. I think just a great, a great choice, um, you know, for the the role of, of Bowser and. I did uh, I did want to ask you too about the way in which we get to uh, the the end fight where everything from the Nintendo world has crashed into the real world uh you know and we finally have Mario and Luigi together be able to use the superstar um to be able to to beat Bowser um, did, did you like that? The fact that we, you know, we, we definitely had these two worlds collide. Uh, it surprised me for sure. Once again, that they were then going to bring everything from the other world back into the real world, but was an interesting way to wrap it up and get them where they needed to be as well with getting the superstar finally. So I was okay with it because then too, you're getting the, approval of their family finally getting to see what they can do his father is proud of them um and they're getting to actually show that their business could be successful and all these other things so you know it's like it's a little weird having the two now in the same world in the real world but um a cool way to bring all of the story points together yeah no i i think that to me, it ended up working for all of the reasons that you pointed out, um, you know, in in some ways to resolve a lot of those thematic elements with the two brothers and their relationships with their family. You know, you needed that to happen. And and then, of course, you know, by the end of the movie, we have them both living in, you know, Mushroom Kingdom together. And I think it leads me to to ask you do you feel like this is just now you know ripe for a sequel i think that the potential is there and i think that there's probably going to be a lot of demand for it but then you and i both are definitely the people that are like don't just dive in for a cash grab and tell them not a great story so i don't know i, I i'm hopeful um that there will be more, but then I'm also not sure about it. What about you? I think it, it's inevitable that there will be a sequel to this, if not multiple sequels. But I, I do think mm-hmm. that you are right in saying that if I want the sequels to be good. You know, I think that the storyline here was so enjoyable and uh, just, it, you know, it had me kind of laughing and grinning from the beginning. And so I want that same experience with the sequels. And part of that, I think, is that you really need to, as the creators here, you need to sit down and think diligently and deeply about, okay, what's the story? You know, right? what's the move for these characters? Where are they going to go next? Okay, we had the origin story where do we take them uh as we move forward and that's really going to be important to either doing a sequel that i think really works or one that's just like eh, it was okay um is if you really think deeply about okay what characters we're going to use what's the story we're trying to tell with them you know in the sense of where we where are they going to go from beginning to end of the film and um you know and and if you're planning on doing more than one sequel, thinking about that in advance so that, you know, maybe as you move into a third film or whatever, so you get like a trilogy here that you don't get to that place where, 
Oh, well, I guess we're, uh, you know, doing Shrek 4000 now. Um, as I just right. heard, they might do Shrek 5. And I'm like, okay, why? You know, what's the point of doing that? You know, and, and so, yeah, you, you can really kill uh, a franchise with too many sequels. And so I just don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, couple last things I, I had that I was in- interested to get your thoughts on. You know, the... Audio sounds of Mario are so indelible from the music to just the sounds that you use, like gathering coins and one-ups and all of that kind of thing. Uh, How did you feel like especially the soundtrack did Brian Tyler doing the score? uh, What did you think? Did it it bring to life the, the Mario music in the way that you would hope in a film or did it leave you flat? It really worked for me. And this is one where it's essential for it to work because the music is so recognizable. I think especially when you're playing up to people that are in our age bracket that grew up with all of these games being such a part of our childhood, you need to make sure that you're representing it, that you're getting the full breadth of all of the sounds that need to be there, um, and that you're using them in the right way. Um, and I think that that was done really well here. And it absolutely took me back to being a little kid again, especially in like the Mario Kart scenes um, and the Rainbow Road and everything. I think that it paired so well with what was happening on screen and gives you the nostalgia, but also could really bring in a new generation into that world and then maybe introduce them to more of the games yeah yeah no i i 100 percent understand um i agree with you too um i think that brian tyler's music for the film was is pretty perfect i thought that he did a really great job of crafting the sounds of this and using the the mario game music perfectly um, and then orchestrating in a way that just fit with every single scene. It, and it's a wonderful listen to even outside of the film, just because we're so familiar with that Mario music. It's mm-hmm. it's great to actually have just to, to play the score if you're just doing something around the house. So, no, I, I absolutely love it. I think it was fantastic. And he did a great job. So I, I couldn't have been happier on that front. Um, one last thing made me super happy before we get to our ratings was the end credit sequence in Yoshi. Well, I got to say, I kind of picked up on that before the end credit sequence. Well, it's true. It's true. They did pass. They did pass some Yoshis, uh, you know. Um, they passed by beforehand. Yoshi's Island yeah. and uh, yep. there was no green one. So that was kind of a, hmm, okay, wonder where Yoshi's at. And then, of course, in the post-credit scenes, well, there was one mid-credit scene, which we have to mention, Tiny Bowser playing Peaches again in his little cage with his teeny tiny baby grand piano. Literally a baby grand. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, that was fantastic. It was adorable. <laughs> Don't you know who I am? Um, and then getting to the Yoshi scene, um, was a great reveal, but I, I was kind of expecting it before that. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. I was also uh, expecting them to bring it in somewhere, but I'm just glad they did. And I think, you know, that's the type of thing where when I think of, of having a sequel, that's an exciting uh, prospect is to have that character come in for a sequel. So, mm-hmm. well, Christy, we've had a I think I've just had a blast talking about this film. It kind of made me uh, want to go see it again. And maybe that uh gives away thoughts on my ratings, but uh, what would your rating be for the Super Mario Brothers movie? So I was really pleasantly surprised with what I thought of this. I initially came into this thinking it would just be a kid's movie and have some things that were relevant to me, but, you know, maybe not take it too seriously. But it had a lot more meat to it than I expected. Um, And I was left feeling like, oh, that was pretty good. Um, and fun. Um, and then, like I said, taking me back to being that 10 year old kid who was over at my best friend Daniel's house playing Diddy Kong racing or Mario Kart together in the basement, um, was just the best feeling. Um, so I, I rate it a little bit higher just because of that factor as well. 
Um, and I'm going to give it a four out of five um, banana peels in the road because it was a lot of fun and had some good applicable lessons for kids. Um, and I think absolutely is something that people even in, you know, the millennials age can get something out of and have fun watching. So yeah, it's a four out of five for me. I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, I, actually went from a three and a half to a four as we yeah, were talking too. just because I, I I was, you know, just realized how much I enjoyed this. And I think partly because I had so little expectations coming into this, you know, obviously the live action version of this was a total bomb. And so, and, and, and the difficulty I think of turning a video game like Mario into a film it, it's it's not an easy thing to do, right? Because that storyline doesn't really uh, create a sense of like full fledged adventure, right? Outside of a video game, uh, uh, you know, the, it's a very basic, basic story, mm-hmm. uh, and so them having to do all this, I think they did a great job. Uh, and so, yeah, it was just, uh, it was great. And it, le- it left me, uh, and smiling, you know, I mean, which mm-hmm. is, that's the kind of thing you want. And, and I think, I hope that Hollywood will begin to learn some of these lessons, which is that making movies that are wholesome for the whole family, for everyone is still a good bet in Hollywood. And I think that the Super Mario Brothers movie is uh, proof positive of that. You know, $375 million in its opening since last Wednesday is insane. So, mm-hmm. um, but Christy, it is now that time of the show where we give our recommendations to everyone. So what would you like to recommend to everyone this week? Well, I'm going to recommend something I briefly mentioned earlier um, and actually tell you about a group, a band called Kirby Crackle, which was so named after uh, an artistic type um, from comics, uh, named after Jack Kirby. And Kirby Crackle is an American geek rock band from Seattle, actually. Um, that started in 2009 and they only do songs about geek characters and themes from comics to video games, <laughs> all nice. kinds of stuff. Um, they have songs for kids and adults. Um, there's one called, uh, let's play some naked Wii tonight. Um, you know, there's also ones like, uh, you're in, in another castle, it seems, um, you know, just silly stuff, but then also, like I said, some more adult stuff sometimes that's like, it's innuendo, but it's not too far. Um, so yeah, I, I recommend checking out the band Kirby Crackle. They're really fun. We like listening to them. Very nice. Well, uh, my wife and I last night uh, went and saw the movie Air, uh, directed by the great Ben Affleck. And this is the story of Nike signing the deal with Michael Jordan for oh, yeah. Air Jordans. And it is so good. It's a phenomenal film. And this is this is clearly a movie, you know, it's 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 for adults, um, but it's a smart film. It's a good film. It's incredibly acted, great direction, and I think, you know, everybody should see it. Uh we both really enjoyed it. I had some friends who went to see it as well this last week, and they were both raving about it as well, hoping to go back to see it again. So go see Air. You will not be disappointed. But Christy, uh, if people want to see what else you've got going on, where would be the best places to catch up with you? You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at Bespin Bell, of course, and in the Babel Conference. And when I'm not here, you know, I did a show with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. And what about you? Well, you could find me all over the place on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vera are the places that I am most active. And so uh, 
check me out there under the name Matt Rushing 2 You can also find me here uh, on the network outside the 602 Club doing a bunch of shows. Uh, the Or about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Or 5 about Star Trek Enterprise. Saddle Up about Strange New Worlds. Literary Treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And, of course, we're wrapping up a Star Trek Picard on the Artificial Tango. So you'll want to check that out. Over on the Nerd Party Network, there are two shows that I've done and or are doing. Uh, you can find Owl Post, which is a completed show about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then the ongoing aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars week in and week out. But thank you as always so much for joining us. And y'all come back now you hear. Thank you.